Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is The Material Podcast, episode number 285. I'm your host, Florence Ion. And I am also your host, Andy Anatko. Thank God you're back, Flo. Thank God I don't have coronavirus. Yay! Um, now... I, can, I can, really, can I just say that, yes. like, as I was like uh, introducing last week's show, I had I, I did like eight different takes of uh, Flo is out sick, but I don't mean that kind of a sick. But I was like, oh wait, now now I'm being now I'm making such a strong point about it. It seems as though I'm making something up or lying about it, but I'm not lying about it. So yo, know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, just slight side note: we always manage to start the show right when Mona is having a meltdown. I can just like hear her <laughs> in the HVAC system right now. <sighs> it's so distracting. But anyway, this is not about her. This is about me. So I uh, I, I actually took, te- I took notes of my corona test because I ended up testing with Project Baseline, which is run by Verily, which is the alphabet medical arm. Um, and I... It's kind of terrible. So I, I felt terrible last week. I felt awful. I slept most of the week, which I really needed to do. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on with me physically, mentally, emotionally. But that's neither here nor there. The good news is, is as I said, I don't have coronavirus, but I yeah. definitely had symptoms that like, I, I mean, we're at the point in this pandemic and especially right after Thanksgiving because everybody was going to go get tested especially the people that traveled that definitely should have not. <laughs> but what are you to do when the government won't tell you to stay home and when the New York yeah. Times says it's probably okay? So, you know, you know, <laughs> stuff happens. Um, so I ended up going to my county's COVID information website to see what was open, to see what I could do to get tested, kind of make sure that I didn't have what I thought was going on. I stayed home. I didn't leave the house until I had results that said I was absolutely negative. Um, I I found on my county's website that they had closed the old drive-through testing sites that were open at the beginning of the pandemic, so back in March. And it seems that they've been replaced with uh, kits kind of dropped off at these existing drive-through pharmacies. And I think it's because you can take in a lot more people through those drive-through pharmacies because the infrastructure is there, right, right? For the cars to come in and out. And the pharmacists are protected by all that glass that they have to use because they use those little like uh I, I don't know, I called it a drawer shoot. That's what I labeled it in my notes. Yeah. You know, like, where they kind of exactly. put your credit card and they here's your pills. <laughs> <laughs> So I ended up going to, like I said, the county website. They had a link for Project Baseline. And I immediately perked up in my sixth state. I was like, oh, my God, I get to do this test. And I'm probably going to get to talk about it on the podcast next week. (laughs) It's all content. Exactly. Yeah, I was just like, okay, (laughs) I am doing this so that people may run. Um, Just kidding. But not really. So, um, so. I took the test at a Rite Aid. Um, CVS was booked solid. I don't think that they're using Project Baseline. I think they're using some other sort of test. But I was quite shocked at how difficult it was to find a testing locale. Mind you, it was days after Thanksgiving. Everybody had come home. All the local news publications around here were saying, like, this is kind of the worst time to try and get tested because everybody's trying to get tested. The nearest walk-in location, I learned, 
is a nearly half hour drive away from me. There's not a lot of walk-in sites. You have to basically get yourself an appointment to get a slot in the drive-through. And I think they do this to stagger it so that people are not coming in mass trying to get tested. Right. Makes sense. And I think it it kind of helps organize what is is really a very chaotic thing. Also, so, that's that's one way to get almost guarantee uh, if if each of these people don't test positive on that day, eventually all of them will if some if some people are sick and some people aren't and they're forced to just huddle together for tests. Yeah. That's true. Um, you're not supposed to have anybody in the car with you, by the way. But I mean, I I didn't. I went out alone. Uh, my test was at 730 at night on a Thursday. <laughs> so there was nobody in the parking lot when I arrived at the Rite Aid where they were having it. It was a seven minute drive from my house. Um, I pulled up like I'm picking up some pills. and Or, or scoring some weed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> But here's the thing: weed they will deliver it to your house. <laughs> okay, true. I, I mean, I, I mean, like, as of five five years ago or ten years ago, it's like, oh, let's meet at the parking lot, the right aid. Why it's seven thirty? <laughs> Don't worry, man. There's lots of light there. Uh, it's public. Oh, college. See, I went to college before weed was legalized. But anyway, uh, in the state of California, that is. So anyway, went to parking lot, empty. Pull up, ring the little call button. Pharmacist comes. I say, hey, I'm here for the COVID test. Um, Actually, I said, hi, I'm here for the corona test. And she said, do you mean the COVID-19 test? Which I said, yes, <laughs> that is the term. That is the terminology I should have used. Um, she instructed me how to do the test myself. But I was already kind of bombarded with all of this information beforehand. Because when you sign up through Project Baseline for a slot, a testing slot, it's basically a glorified Google Doc. You know, uh, the Google surveys, they give you like it's the same like stock layout that they have on there. And you're like, okay, I know this, I know this is Google. Um, fill out your information. They ask you if you have insurance. By the way, I'm sharing this information for anybody who hasn't taken a test and maybe feels like a little anxious. The tests have gotten a lot easier now than they were at the beginning of the pandemic. They no longer shove a long Q-tip up all the way to the back of your nasal cavity. Um, now it's a, a thin little to- toothpick thick Q-tip that you put in to your nose. You kind of push it up past the flared part of the nostril, circle around in there 15 to 20 seconds. The pharmacist walks you through the entire thing through the glass. <laughs> so she's there like dictating. She's like, that's right. Like, go ahead. Keep swabbing. Okay, now do the other one. <laughs> and then you put it in the vial. You put it in little chute. And it goes into a testing cart, I assume, to which the intern will deal with when she gets in five days later. Um, that's I got my results in four days. It was negative. But I will tell you, they bombarded me with a lot of email in between that testing period. And every time the subject line came through, instinctively, I knew that I didn't have it because I started to feel immensely better by like Thursday or Friday. But there's always... Everything going on right now, it's scary because even if you're not feeling symptoms, it's possible your body could have built an antibody for it in the process. Um, You don't know what's happening inside of you. And from what I've been reading on the virus, what I've been reading through, I will say, reputable sources, uh, namely the New York Times, I had read that there was a study in Europe that, like, reacts differently with different blood types, like – 
you know, I'm trying to like sop up any piece of information thinking that it it helps me arm myself against the virus, but it doesn't. Anyway, I'm negative it was easy and I'm going to go back in probably a week and a half and get another test before the holiday just because of how freaking easy it was. Don't talk to anybody. You just do it in your car. Like I had my little, I had my seat warmers on. So I was just like (laughs) sitting there with my butt getting warm and swabbing my nose. (laughs) What did it cost you? Cost you anything? No, it was free. Ah, good. It was free. Although, well, I did put in my insurance information because I do have insurance through my husband. So we'll see if there's a bill that comes through, right? In two months. Uh, But I, I think. I feel like because this is pandemic level that they're they're making these kits available to folks. It's the at home ones that you have to pay for. And that's why like uh, my understanding is they're like 90 bucks a piece for the at home ones, which is why it's very frustrating when you see celebrities like tweeting or politicians. and They're like, we all got tested in our little group. And it's like, of course you did. Like, right. You have access to something I don't, which is an at home test. Yeah, and plus you were you were using it in a very right you were, you were using the test in a very righteous fashion that you were feeling awful you were feeling awful a few days after uh, having uh, visited with family on Thanksgiving even mm-hmm. though it was a very very controlled environment mm-hmm. it's these people who are like oh don't worry it's perfectly fine that I decided to have a birthday party for myself with sixty people and thirty caterers on my Instagram because uh, everyone got tested and they were all negative and no, no the the only yeah. the only definitive test result is positive negative just means that. There was no detectable virus on the swab that you submitted at that time. So please don't think that you've got a clean bill of health because you don't. Now, I I have had, well, okay, I have had family that has tested and that had COVID. So not here in in California, uh, in another state, but it just... That whole situation, the way it's been, I mean, they, they shut us down here. Uh, and I apologize, anybody, you know, you were tuning in to listen in, you know what we were going to talk about today on the podcast, because yes. if you've been following Google News, you know who and what we're talking story, about. Yeah. Um, but I thought this was an interesting experience to do through Project Verily specifically, because I noticed how privatized a lot of the pandemic handling has been in the US. Um, look, we can get into a larger discussion about the privatized medical practice in the United States. We're, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking specifically that now I used my Google account to log in for this test. I used my Google, I used my Gmail to get information for this test to, you know, that's how the pharmacist picked me out in her long list, right? Um, what where what's going to happen to that data if you skim the FAQs they say that they're not going to like it's being used for public good and knowing that i this is a pandemic i am responsible for my end of the bargain here right is to make sure right. that i'm safe going out regardless if i'm wearing a mask which i always am um so i'm doing my duty here as a citizen of the world but it's interesting that now that data is is a part of some larger learning model, something. And, you know, I, I think it's very interesting how quickly Project Verily jumped on this. Makes sense that they would. This is exactly what Project Verily, by the way, for those, or excuse me, Project Baseline, 
for those who don't know, is a, it's a larger like health initiative uh, on Alphabet's part. It's kind of supposed to make community health accessible. And so a pandemic comes up, this is the perfect time to try and like test all of this infrastructure, right? To test all of this testing. So I'm very curious to see what this comes, what comes out of this, especially like, especially just knowing um, the, uh, wow, it just completely, uh, what's her face? The Steve Jobs wannabe. Oh, yeah. Uh- <laughs> she's filed in my mind <laughs> or, or dibby the, the steve jobs wannabe yeah just yes this is steve's jobs wannabe yes i'm yes, i know the, we shouldn't be the, making fun the, of her voice yeah, but we this, are this, this this scammer who had that oh we can test we can do 800 tests with just two drops of blood and we'll yeah that was theranos, theranos. no yeah. not no that thanos thanos that theranos, theranos is yep. the guy from we well, know thanos, thanos is the, is the marvel. big baddie on marvel <laughs> theranos <laughs> Okay, we need some diversification of names here. Like, <laughs> anyway, it's just uh, an interesting time in medical tech, and that was my experience. If you haven't been tested and this is available to you, I should say, though, Project Baseline actually is only available in several states. It's available, I think, in Texas, California, Virginia. All they do is studies. So, I don't know. Yeah. Try it out if you want, but just know that you have to become a part of a list. It is a really, again, that intersection of Google of creepy and cool, that their ability to to take in an immense amount of data and do useful things with that data is both the thing that makes them cool and the thing that makes them creepy. And the opportunity to say, what if we take lots and lots of data, like, like, like all the stuff that all the features that they've been adding to Google Maps and other services that by the they have a, a data package and data sets that they will give to communities uh, community uh, leaders for free that based on their tracking people's phones in their pockets they can say oh here's how many people have been going to supermarkets here's how many people have been using like public recreation areas uh, and how so how good is your lockdown how good are people at following your directions which is again i'm i'm glad that they have some numbers on this I'm not glad that it's such a good it's such a great demonstration of how fine grained their tracking is. So I do want to just very quickly because I skimmed this in the in the FAQ and I'll you know and I'll post this in the notes if anybody is curious to scope it out. So it says Verily will have access to information that directly identifies you, including your name, street address, email address, phone number, health insurance information if applicable, and survey responses. The information may also be provided to Verily's contractors, the healthcare professionals who collect your specimen. That makes sense if you go to the pharmacist, right? They usually have that information. The clinical laboratory that processes your specimen, the entity that is operating the site and its contractors, so Rite Aid, right? The State Department of Public Health and potentially other federal, state, and local health authorities and other entities that assist with the testing program. Were this not a pandemic, I probably would have not gone this route. But the thing that I said on social media after I took the test is I said I felt like a true patriot. Because I think that and that's what voting is supposed to evoke out of us, by the way, is this idea that you're contributing to a collective good. I have never felt that more than in the midst of this pandemic, because it really freaking matters what you are doing and how like that is going to protect other people. And um, anyway, 
Google yeah. did my Google did my COVID test. <laughs> like this is the world I live in. And the irony is not lost on me that this is like my main scope of coverage. And yet the only test that was available to me, the the soonest was a Google test. <laughs> like, <laughs> The oh, world well. is so like the world is always doing that to me. It's always like anyway. So, again, so sometimes you're you're you feel like you're a background player in a mid-season replacement show comedy on a major network in the mid '90s. That just things are too synchronicitous and too weird to be otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we obviously we have a lot to lot to get to before oh before we, God, we uh, get to commercial. I just wanted to actually thank you for and thank you, Flo, for your you did a really great uh, article for Gizmodo that was a roundup of Wi-Fi six uh, mesh network uh, uh, Wi-Fi stuff. I um, worked really freaking hard on it. You did. You I worked did. on that too. By the way, I wrote that while I was super sick. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to the powers that be that helped me knock out that 2,500 words. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, you, I, I couldn't tell because it, it was really great. I, I, I knew that you were onto something when we were talking a couple of weeks ago about like Black Friday deals and how like Google Wi-Fi was one of the deals and how I was thinking about getting a mesh network for a friend of mine in Queens a to help him out. And mm-hmm. also so that when I visit him, I will get better mm-hmm. Wi-Fi. You'll benefit, guest yes. room. And you're like, eh, maybe you want to wait for this to come out. And I almost, so your recommendation was the TP link Deco X 20 for reasons that for everybody, you, for everybody, for Even everybody, it was like yeah. s- really affordable. And the one that I was kind of hoping would be uh, affordable enough. I only, and I've, I kind of feel silly because as soon as I finished if reading it, I uh, went to Amazon and I found that it's like it's normally 270 280 mm-hmm. bucks. It was on sale like when I checked for 220 yeah. which was yeah. even more an insanely good deal. Yeah. But if the problem was that I had already spent like hella double plus stupid silly dangerous amounts of money this month on a new laptop yeah, and I know you a did. new desk you, chair you and a whole bunch of stuff. You tweeted about that right before we started recording. Yeah, so and I I kind of wish I did. Oh, well, the, well, the other thing is that I'm, I've I've been trained by all kinds of e-commerce that if you are thinking about buying yes. something and you visit a site and you what are the chances that you just so happen to have found landed made your first price check on something the one day it was on an incredible deal that will never be repeated ever again and so that was another reason to say well maybe this is just like it's it never it never sells for the list price on Amazon it's always for 220 bucks but no it was just oh well but that's okay i'll probably pick one up like next month once my once my credit card recovers from I, again, I don't. I don't even want to talk about how much money I've spent over the past three, four. It's okay. All for not all not not for like. Oh wow, here is a pencil that's a spe- instead of having uh, uh, six sides on that wooden pencil, it's got seven and a half sides. That's why they cost a hundred dollars each, and you can only buy them in a box of ten. I am old and old enough and experienced enough that I don't waste my money like that anymore. But it hey, was hey, just hey, a hey. Some of us of- choose to waste our money that way. Okay, and we are very happy with our five sided <laughs> pens. All right. I just want to say that. I just, you know, um, the the people at the pen addict would like to have a word with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Here I'm on the relay FM network. If you, if, if you want to spend eighty seven thousand dollars on a handbag, I mean, even if you decide to like go on social media and say, "Oh my god, I can't, I can't uh, should I should I buy this eighty seven thousand dollars?" It's such a waste it's, of it's money. Your, it would yes. be. I would be telling you, it's your money. Whatever you want to do. I'm just it's your I, money. If you want to spend it on some Apple chip, 
Who am I to tell you not to do that? <laughs> a no, not, not just that. Gen, first generation of okay. a brand new series of CPUs that has never been deployed to. You know this what, many Andy? Years from now, I hope I hope I see you in the recollection article. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, shall we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. Yes. This episode of Material is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing enterprise infrastructure, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions that allow you to take your project to the next level. You can simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux virtual machines, helping you develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Quite frankly, anything that could make your workflow faster and easier is worth checking out. Linode has 11 global data centers and provides 24-7 human support 365 days a year, so you never have to be stuck without support. Night or day, holiday or not, Linode are there, with no tiers or handoffs, regardless of your plan size. And you can check it out for free! Get started right now on Linode today with a $100 free credit for listeners of Material by going to linode.com slash material. In addition to shared and dedicated compute instances, you can use your $100 credit on S3-compatible object storage, manage Kubernetes, and more. So head to linode.com slash material and click on the Create Free Account button to get started. Go there now. Check it out. Our thanks to Linode for their support of the Material Podcast and all of Relay FM. Last week was not only hard because I felt awful uh, on the inside of my body, but I also felt awful because some really big news hit literally hours before Andy recorded the podcast on his own, which I really appreciate, Andy. <laughs> that Actually, you, like, can, I, can I say hours after I recorded the podcast on my own? I was That's correct. I was, was, was going to record. I said, like, okay, that's great. It's, it's 2 a.m., but all I got to do is record some commercials, and then I can I can send this this uh, this all to the Dropbox and then go to bed. And then I made the mistake of like just like checking Twitter and saying... But I also, but I also linked you, though. I linked right. you t- because I was like laying in bed, sc- doom scrolling, right? And I saw this, and I was yeah. Oh, I feel awful. I have no brain power to like <laughs> tackle this at all, but I'm going to send this to Andy. So for those who don't know what we're talking about, we are referring to last week's firing from Google of Dr. Timnit Gebru. Uh, Dr. Gebru was on the AI and ethics uh, team. She was a recently, Wire described her actually as a superstar of a recent movement in AI research to consider the ethical and societal impacts of the technology. She helped assemble and lead a small team of computer and social scientists dedicated to ethics research inside Google's AI research group. So much has come out since then. Um, I have been just reading refreshing twitter like yes. there's been back and forth um between uh, dr gabru and um her former manager i guess uh, jeff dean who's senior vp for google ai um we were thinking the best thing that we could do for you for those of you listening is to break down what the facts are and then kind of tell you what's being slung back and forth. So we're actually, this is this is our main event of the podcast this week. Uh, so we're really going to get into it. So I guess, yeah. Andy, it's, we should start. You do want to start us off a little bit, actually, sure, Andy? Because sure. I feel yeah, like... Is, 
this is pretty huge because uh, as any listener of this podcast or any follower of Google has known, uh, Google has had a bunch of internal problems, some of which have to do with how well they deal with uh, with their employees and and their labor. Right. Uh, Their internal culture. Uh, their uh, diversity programs, how uh, their, their their problems with sexism, and as a matter of fact, last week's lead story was about how the department, how uh, National Labor Board had found that uh, the two of the at least two of the employees that got fired last year uh, during the Black Thursday knock, knock. It's event, the NLRB, yeah, exactly, had been had been that that uh, Google had violated labor laws by doing so, outlining in the complaint all the stuff that Google had done that was wrong, not just simply firing people for uh, for lack of cause. Yeah. A- and so when <laughs> when Dr. Gabru uh, started started tweeting that hey by the way I guess it looks like I'm no longer working at Google I didn't I didn't know that I was fired until I got uh, my me uh, until my team got an email from my boss's boss saying that oh well gosh we're sorry yeah. that she's going but she's we've accepted her resignation and given that she is she really is a superstar that that's that's why Wired's quote is perfect here i mean go to youtube like you will see even just before we're recording i was just kind of looking at some interviews that she had done several years prior before she was working at google and i kind of saw like the path that i'm assuming brought her there because i saw that she did a lot of work uh with google maps and mapping demographics um and just kind of like reaching into how these tools can help us better understand how to make ai work for everybody Uh, so at the core of it this is a catch for Google. This is exactly right, this who they lot, need to have on staff. A lot of people, when they when she, uh, when she came to work for Google a few years ago, a lot of people who were questioning uh, Google's commitment to improving their culture mm-hmm. and improving their workspace, uh, especially for uh, marginalized communities, the, that oh, well, maybe this is a sign that if they if they were not the not just that they uh, that they hired uh, a. Uh, a black woman in a very important role here in an organization that is sorely underrepresented by non-white dudes, but also this particular uh, researcher who, uh, again, her chops and just simple uh, as as an AI uh, researcher are she'd be at the top of your list if you were hiring, but also the fact that she's doing pioneering and important work Mm -hmm. in the AI, in the ethics of artificial intelligence. That again, that got a lot of people saying that, Oh, if they were trying to recruit someone like this, that means that this isn't just, you know, a mouth organ uh, music that they're blowing here, that they actually have an interest in this, but the firing of, uh, of Dr. Gabru, particularly under such questionable circumstances, it's not just as it doesn't just negate all of that it possibly indicates that no they are this is their corporate policy that yeah. once someone's once someone from a marginalized community gets too loud you got to shut them up and get rid of them uh, yeah. and this is uh, i as i was i was trying to be as fair as possible last week but even if this even if uh, fortune had not arranged that there was a major labor action against Google for firing outspoken people last year, the same week that this was happening, I would immediately suspect that they didn't, they they have a history of not just simply firing somebody and making it a mystery that they will find some Mm. boneheaded excuse to cover up the real reason why they're doing and not have that conversation. It sounds as though this is what they're doing, but, uh, but we're, let's uh, getting, getting down to the yeah, facts. Um, the facts. So, so here this is, is what's, the, 
here's the TLDR. Now, uh, Dr. Yeah. Gabru co-authored uh, an artificial intelligence research paper entitled, quote, On the Dangers of Stochastic Parrots, Can Language Models Be Too Big? Uh, she co-authored this with four other people uh, and uh, inside of Google and also, I believe, at Microsoft. Uh, and the paper discussed four different ethical problems associated with this new class of very large-scale machine learning-built language uh, models. Uh, these models are they're they're used to both to comprehend text and to generate national language natural language so uh, to help understand what we're talking about here like this model that's built with these massive 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 scale uh uh, uh models uh this model could answer your questions about war and peace so if you were to ask it the was book. prince vasily one of the good guys <laughs> in this story not only does it understand enough? Does the AI understand enough about the text of War and Peace to be able to answer that question? Mm-hmm. But it also can put together a natural language sentence or paragraph summarizing the role of this character uh, in the in the story, such that you would not guess that this had not been written by some editor somewhere. So, that's, uh, that's so anyway. A- yeah, I'm sorry. I'm thinking about this just at a, at a theoretical level, like what that means. So basically. Uh, anyway, it's amazing. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, really impressive stuff. Anyway, uh, Dr. Gabru uh, intended to present this paper at a conference next year mm-hmm. and per Google policy for externally submitted papers sure. and for the research that you're working on, if you if uh, she has to uh, file it to this uh, to this conference so that they can prepare slides. And, and, that makes and, sense. And, and yeah, yeah. But before she can do that, it. she has to submit it for approval through proper Google channels. Uh, to, and and uh, she did. It was accepted. Okay, done and dusted. But at a later date, Google expressed some concerns about the paper. They asked Dr. Gabru to either retract it from the conference or remove her name from it. Uh, and this was suspicious and weird, to say the very, very least. Uh, and so as part of the discussion, as part of the response to like this re- really odd request, and we'll find out later when we get to uh, different mm-hmm. sides of the story, uh, exactly how they expressed that the very, very fishy way that they expressed mm-hmm. that uh, that request. Uh, so uh, Dr. Gabru opened a broader conversation with her bosses about the concerns that this request, this whole incident uh, raised in her mind about uh, the company's research and review policies, uh, asserting that, well, look, these policies are unscholarly. If that means that suddenly this thing can be retracted in a way that doesn't, that isn't normal in academia, meaning that you t- specific people review it, specific people point out academic problems with it, we have an opportunity then to either fix it, address it, or rebut it. And it's that, editing none of that and was, fact-checking. Right, exactly. Uh, and, and none of that were happening. And also, part of the conversation was the, that this was uh, reflective of an overall hostile environment at Google Brain. Uh, and so this was happening uh, like the week before uh, Thanksgiving break. Uh, so she made this uh, final communication, uh, anticipated that after vac- she came back from vacation, there'd be further discussion. Uh, meanwhile, also, uh, uh, Dr. Gabru posted an email about her uh, frustrations about the whole situation and the overall culture at Google to Google's internal Google Brain Women and Allies listserv. Mm -hmm. And here's the additionally suspicious part. A few days after she posted that message, which was very to the point, kind of withering about Mm -hmm. the situation overall at Google, uh, her employment with Google ended. 
I mm-hmm. we can say as neutrally as possible, her employment ended. Google cited the listserv post as the reason why to sh- they were going to make her exit an immediate one rather than the usual, well, let's discuss what your last day will be. Let's discuss how you're going to ease the transition. Uh, her access to company resources, such as email, uh, was cut off. This is why she couldn't immediately retrieve the email that she had put on that listserv and share it with people because uh, she no longer she immediately <laughs> after not being informed that she had been uh, let go that uh, she didn't have access to that email anymore uh, her access to company resources like her email inbox was cut off she wasn't allowed to e- ease the transition for a team or anything uh, and as i said the termination came as a total surprise to gabru and her team uh, members of her team suspicious item number n plus one uh, received an email from megan cacholia uh, the vice president of engineering for Google Brain, uh, which claimed that she had accepted Dr. Gibru's, re- quote, resignation, unquote. And this is yeah. odd because Cacholia is not her boss, is not Dr. Gibru's boss. It's she's her manager's boss. And so why wasn't this coming from her immediate mm-hmm. supervisor, who also seemed to be in the dark about this? So there are a lot of facts. That's that's the stuff that we can provably are they're objectively true. Uh, not, but there are a lot of facts, obviously, that are in dispute. And many of these have been clarified over the over the course of the last week. Question one: What well, did she resign? As uh, as Google claimed, uh, again, we have accepted her resignation, uh, or was she fired? So uh, Jeff Dean, who's the senior vice president for Google AI, he's also, I believe, a Google also a Google research fellow, uh, and Megan Cacholi, uh, he's also Megan Cacholi's immediate supervisor, claims that the email that Gibru had sent uh, to Google. Uh, gave Google a set of conditions that were conditional for her continued employment, that if you don't meet these, then uh, then she will resign. Uh, she, so they got Dr. Gabru in this email said that, well, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Jeffrey Dean says that, well, because we couldn't meet her demands, we have accepted her resignation, and that's why we haven't fired her. She resigned, and we accepted this uh, her resignation. And uh, Dr. Gabru, of course, says this is nonsense, that this was she was just requesting a longer conversation about mm-hmm. the issues that she was raising in the email that at the very worst she has expected that they would discuss yeah. what day in which would be her last and once again transition her team away so uh, there's also as you can imagine controversy regarding the nature of google's objections to the research paper uh, mm-hmm. that uh, dr Ginru co-authored now anonymous googlers believe that the research paper annoyed google because google search and other tools use examples of this these same kinds of large language models that the paper is criticizing oh. and so they didn't want that to be part of a paper being written by google uh jeffrey dean's staff email we we don't want self-reflection on ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> That's that how I us, see it, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the staff email that Jeff Dean sent claims that the paper, and I'm quoting here, didn't meet our bar for publication, unquote, because it, quote, ignored too much relevant research, unquote, and, quote, didn't take into account research recent research to mitigate, unquote, some of the issues that the paper identified. You can't stop and, making faces over here, by the way. I'm really sorry that yeah, I'm going to be making faces this entire time. I mean, as he even reading this as text, 
I was thinking, oh, I cannot that sounds, not react. There's a there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that I'm gonna flag to re to recheck that later on. Um, so, but uh, Doctor Gibru's listserv post connects this incident to a larger pattern of silencing marginalized voices like hers inside of Google and the company's lack of progress regarding mm-hmm. diversity mm-hmm, initiatives. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this email came only a few days after she was, let's say, fired also indicates that they didn't like that she was talking to other members of the team that way um in the post now this is uh, this but the post that she uh, claimed she uh, she made mm-hmm. also gives her side of w- what she was experiencing here uh in that post that she made she says that a week before thanksgiving vacation she was summoned to a meeting on two hours notice uh, as, as as far as she knew that the paper that she had submitted had been approved, everything's going okay, but she suddenly sees on her Google Calendar that she's now scheduled for a meeting in two and a half hours, uh, subject unknown, people unknown. By the way, and, this whole thing makes me never want to go back to work in an office. Ever again. Yeah. Just, I'm, just I'm, as a side note, I'm sorry. It's just all of this is giving me so much anxiety. My heart has started palpitating. I'm, I'm clearly not, I'm clearly not, not housebroken for this <laughs> It's just like, I'm just sitting here like... <gasps> Oh my God. Uh, okay, keep going. Yep. Sorry. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I'm the peanut galley for this one. <laughs> so at the meeting, uh, her manager's manager, I'm guessing that's Margaret uh, Cacholia, Megan mm-hmm. Cacholia, uh, informed her that, quote, it has been decided, unquote. It, it has she, been decided. Yes. That meaning, again, look at the passive voice. It means that no one decided it. It's just one of those, it's like the nitrogen in the atmosphere. Uh, so it has been decided uh, that she needs to retract the paper by next week, which is Thanksgiving week. So good luck f- to her f- to round up all the, her co-authors and all the people that are on that conference to make these changes or retract it. So she was read at that meeting. She was read ob- a list of objections from a confidential document that she wasn't allowed to see, whose authors, uh, the commentators, remained anonymous. She wasn't given any sort of means to rebut anything or offered an opportunity to revise anything in that paper, which is, again, it makes Jeff Dean's public statement deeply, deeply suspicious because if, as he implied, Google's objections were clinical and academic, why wouldn't they let her say, here are the problems we have? Would you like, we think that you can address them by pointing to other research and other mitigations. No, they didn't. They just simply said, you're going to have to take your name off this thing. And uh, the, the the message she posted is a scathing rebuke of Google's treatment of marginalized voices and, su- uh, and suggests, I wouldn't say fatalism, but uh, a, a, an acknowledgement of what she sees as the reality that uh, cha- trying to change Google is a waste of time. I hear two good direct quotes from that email, uh, quote, have you ever heard of someone getting, quote, feedback on a paper through a privileged and confidential document to HR? Does that sound like a standard procedure to you? Or does it just happen to people like me who are constantly dehumanized? Another passage here. Silencing marginalized voices like this is the opposite of the NAUWU principles, which we discussed. And doing this in the context of, quote, responsible AI, unquote, adds so much salt to the wounds. I understand that the only things that mean anything at Google are levels. I've seen how my expertise has been completely dismissed, but now there's an additional layer saying any privileged person can decide that they don't want your paper out with zero conversation. So you're blocked from adding your voice to the research community, Mm -hmm. your work, which you do on top of the other marginalization you face here. Uh, The 
Uh, lastly, before we move on to, to other parts of it, uh, the other things that I was really curious about are what were her demands, uh, quote unquote, right. if this was right. the, she made an ultimatum. Uh, well, uh, there is a, a post on Medium onto the, uh, the Google, uh, Google account. Oc- Exactly. A a medium account uh, posted by uh, anonymous Googlers uh, saying uh, here, here were the three things that she was uh, wanted to be discussed. One transparency around I'm I'm quoting the medium post here, transparency around who was involved in calling for the retraction of the paper Two, having a series of meetings with the ethical AI team. And third, she wanted to understand the parameters of what would be acceptable research at Google. These don't seem like I want a Gulfstream G5 to take me to, to lunch every single day, and I want everybody to bow and scrape. It just seemed like here are the problems that I'm seeing. Can we have a discussion about these three things? Uh, that hardly sounds like an ultimatum, and the Google's justification for "oh, we accept, we said we accepted her resignation" seemed to be more and more uh, ridiculous as the more that we learn about it. And so passive aggressive. So as of uh, Wednesday afternoon, when we are recording this podcast, uh, there is a letter of support for Dr. Gabru from Googlers. It's been signed by twenty trying to figure out how to say this number, 2,278 Googlers and three over 3,000 supporters from academia, industry, and civil society. Uh, for those of us who don't work in academia, I mean, this is the big part. You, you, you put your research into the giant pile, uh, and, and that's kind of how you contribute to the community as a whole. And God, if you're unable to do that because of some arbitrary HR rules set forth. I mean, yeah, it's extremely frustrating. So Platformer actually has a copy of the email that Dr. Gabru sent to the listserv. Um, We are going to link it. uh, And I think, Andy, we talked about reading the whole thing on air. One way or another, it's important that her words and her voice be be reflected, because that's really what this is all about. This is about uh, again, Google just shutting down her voice and also her experiences about saying this is simply what happens when you're not part of the accepted demographic power structure inside of Google. Uh, and it's uh, the it's the part of the rumors about uh, what was actually said and what in this email and what Google was uh, responding to and taking these actions. Uh, she, they, they, they said that the reason why they were just simply yanking her, her employment, yanking her email immediately instead of having a regular transition is that uh, they alluded that uh, Google alluded that, Oh, well, she was telling her underlings to, excuse me, the, the people who reported to her to stop working on projects, don't have any faith in anything. And they said that, oh, well, this is not conduct that's becoming a a Google manager. Uh, But that's really, in context, this is completely all understandable. Uh, The last paragraph, I think I will uh, read in its uh, its, uh, entirety. Uh, So if you would like to change things, I suggest focusing on leadership accountability and thinking through what types of pressures can also be applied from the outside. For instance, I believe that the Congressional Black Caucus is the entity that started forcing tech companies to report their diversity numbers. Writing more documents and saying things over and over again will tire you out, but no one will listen. Let's take a quick little break just to give everybody a chance to breathe. We're going to come back with just like a a quick little bit more about this. Uh, Quick break. Yes. 
All right. And now we're going to kind of try and distill everything that's been happening <laughs> since. Fallout time. Yes, exactly. So fallout time. So like we said, there's been so much stuff going on uh, on Twitter, uh, not just that, but across the news sphere. So Dr. Gabru actually posted Twitter last night about how toxic the environment in Google Brain was and how obvious it was from the start that this was the environment that she had been contracted into. Uh, we will link to the whole thread in our show notes on Twitter, but I'm going to go ahead and just uh, read a, a little tidbit from the thread that I thought um, – that I thought should be shared here on the podcast. So so she actually tweeted that she had a meeting first uh, with her potential future managers, including Jeff Dean, asking each of them before she was she was hired what they were planning on doing about uh, the issues that. Yeah, that she 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 had already heard that uh, sexism in uh, at the Google brain was notorious in what she called. Her I mean, already networks. heard about it. Come on. They give yeah. nearly 100 mil to Andy Rubin. So right. it's like this. Right. All this stuff has existed in the ether. And so she asked about it because B- before that's she took what, the job. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you're supposed to do in an interview, by the way. Uh, I know people are afraid to do that, but that's what you're supposed to do. She she wrote, I did not feel comfortable signing my offer because there were so many red flags, so many issues I saw even before joining. As far as I know, I was the first black woman ever to be hired as a research scientist there out of God knows how many research scientists. And man, was it toxic. Uh, ouch. Um, since then, Sundar Pichai had actually reacted to the firing. They even sent around an email to all employees. Um, Axios reported on it earlier today. That link is also in the show notes. Um, now, I first have to say that the frustrating part of all it, of all this is that I started years ago covering Google as just this consumer technology company. And I just was looking at the gadgets they were putting out, what they were doing with Android. It was so cute. Look at Chrome. Look at Chromebooks. But now that I've been in this world and there's just been so many I'm sorry's the last four to five years coming from Google's camp that it gets very hard to see this long memo coming from Sunar Pachai and not seeing it as just a complete PR blanket to kind of help tide over. Nowhere does he say we were wrong. We're sorry. Exactly. And not only that, but the way that this is written, it puts the onus on Dr. Gerbrew. It kind of paints her in this light as, well, she was causing a bit of a stir. And so, you know, here at Google, we've implemented uh, de-escalation tactics. And it's like, the de-escalation tactic, it's... I don't want to get into nuances of why that's super problematic uh, because that is going to ruffle feathers beyond the intention that I have here. But I am going to say that that's just absolutely not the thing that you put in this. When somebody... The implication implication is that, well, emotions got a little bit hot on both sides. I think that if we had a procedure so that everybody could just calm down and discuss things rationally, that's that's the implication when you're talking about de-escalation procedures. And if he Mm -hmm. intended to say that. Uh, we feel as though looking looking at this, we uh, dispassionately we feel as though management at Google uh, acted rashly and uh, and without due course, and so therefore we don't want to make the same mistake in the future that we made in the past. It was just oh well, let's not argue about who killed who. It's no let it, let's argue about who harmed who here because I think I think the person who did the harm was you and your company. 
Yes. I mean, it'd be easy to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but uh, as it stands, Google's trying to be more than just that. So there's a little quote I do want to read, though, from the Sunura Pachaya memo, just very quickly. Uh, It's at the kind of the end. So it listed out a couple things. Um, It was also keenly felt he wrote, because Dr. Gabru is an expert in an important area of AI ethics that we must continue to make progress on, progress that depends on our ability to ask ourselves challenging questions. I really do ask if this is something that Google would ever truly find itself um, uh, committed to, because the fact of the matter is they fired somebody who exactly was doing just that. It was asking a challenging question. And we still don't know for certain uh, what the reason was for her firing, like what happened in the background, what conversation took place that said this absolutely cannot get published. But as it stands, um, the whole there's a reason do no evil. I know this is something we keep saying, but there's a reason that is no longer in Google's ethos. Yeah. Uh, and I I worry about this uh, as as a person who consumes a lot of product from this company now. Dr. Gabru did respond to uh, the Sunar Pichai memo. Today. And yeah. <laughs> she, yep. And, it was all going down um, today, so yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. She most importantly wrote, don't paint me as an angry black woman for whom you need de-escalation strategies for. I wanted to read that because I think it's we need yeah. to recognize that there is a lot of racism at play here with just the way that this is playing out publicly. Um that's that's what what's happening right now. Uh, it's a lot of dog inc- whistles. Mm-hmm. Um, she ends her thread saying it does not say I'm sorry for what we did to her and it was wrong. What it does say is it seeded doubts and led some in our community to question their place at Google. So I see this as I'm sorry for how it played out, but I'm not sorry for what we did to her yet. And that's exactly what's where we're landing on this this is exactly where we're ending on this for this segment you have all the facts now i think this is still going to be playing out in the coming weeks i however do not think that anything is going to change something i said on twitter earlier today and i i haven't tweeted very deeply about this because it's a very difficult thing to put on the record i've what you will not hear on this podcast is how many times uh, Jim had to <laughs> stop and start recording again because I kept messing up. There's just no – it's very difficult to cover this stuff because you're dealing with with human beings. It, this is not me and Andy saying this phone sucks and here right. are the the five reasons we have to back it up. Um, this is This is saying – Google did something really wrong here uh, after years and years of trying to like turn around this narrative. This is another I'm sorry. And how many times are you going to hear I'm sorry before you decide to just cut that person off, right? There's a toxic culture here that has been brewing beneath. It's coming to the surface. It's not necessarily throughout Google. It's possible that there are some departments. um, And I think this is true just from what I've seen, that there are departments that are very like, loving community oriented that really are like working together and you will see that in their product and i think we're going to see in the ai product uh we're going to see a huge loss in this firing machine learning is about to hit a wall yeah and and particularly because the work that she and her team was was doing is so important 
because a lot of us can wrap our heads around the broader problems of ethics and artificial intelligence yeah. where mostly most of us by now are aware of uh, of the racial bias in machine learning vision vision software as a matter of fact the, the 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 paper that was published in 2018 that really blew the lid off of this about how uh, the accuracy for non-whites particularly non-white women mm-hmm. was just absolutely dismal that she was one of the two or three researchers uh, when she was working at Microsoft that published that paper and that's led to for instance, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, that's why the, they're the first statewide ban on police use of facial recognition. But yeah. uh, the paper, the, the, uh, the MIT Technology Review uh, got access to the papers. They weren't allowed to reproduce it because it is still preliminary research, but they mm-hmm. were able to summarize pretty much the content of it. And it really is fantastic stuff because it's talking about uh, things that uh, – only an ethics researcher and only uh, an ethics researcher with uh, the perspective that someone like uh, like she would have could point out. Uh, for instance, the idea that when you have these language mo- uh, models that are being trained with huge, enormous amounts of text, uh, researchers are desperate to get enough text to actually train them on. So that means that whatever the source is, they're going to go get it. And so you might cons- you, you, you might consider the, uh, off the top of your head that, oh, well, like a lot of the conversation on the internet uh, and worldwide is sexist and racist and violent, and you don't want the AI to think that this is normal conversation. It might That might occur to you, but d- does it occur to you that if you you start off by saying, well, here's every single book in Project Gutenberg, and that is heavily weighed uh, uh, in the balance in the, uh, in the on the side of Western literature, again, white white people writing white people's stories. So it's being trained on white people's stories. And when, even when you talk about uh, uh, internet message boards, internet postings, things like that, you're talking about the sort of the, the sort of text that. Uh, Parts of the world that have lots of technological infrastructure, as well as lots of money to have mobile devices and computers and that sort of stuff. Uh, that so now their language and their concepts are going to be weighed more heavily than the conversations of communities that are not as well represented on the internet. And so, uh, you, I, once again, you have a very very imbalanced. Uh, training program, a very imbalanced kind of experience about what constitutes language. It means that there's whatever the natural uh, flavor that a certain community has to their language is going to be more or less erased and homogenized when it's put in this huge, huge hopper where it's competing against a thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand times the content that's being produced by, once again, a Western white male sort of uh, voice and, and vernacular. And that's and that's just one of the four topics they're talking about. This is the so it's it's not as though this was a huge polemic against Google saying that you know, if the FTC doesn't break up Google in the next four months, that means that we're, there's no hope for this country. No, it was exactly. important stuff that will change a, a, a lot of minds. And it wasn't it was for the global good. With- it, it wasn't it wasn't specifically something against Google. And I think the frustrating part for all of this um, is that I do not know how to explain this to people, why this is so important, because the lasting effects of it will not be felt by certain peoples. The people that I'm trying to explain this to are the people who will never feel the effects of this unbalanced model that you are referencing. And it's like, how do you get the people to understand that 
just because they're in this model. It's like, how, how do you, it's like that headline. How do I, how do I convince you that you have to care about other people? And you have to do that in machine learning, too. And that's that's all that was trying to be accomplished here. Uh, and I actually think that Google did a lot more harm than good by making this into a whole to-do. So they went and they fired her. They were trying to, like, scrub this whole situation, I'm assuming. But instead, it's it's just so bad. It yeah. just is not. It's not looking good. It makes me, it makes, it kind of weathers me a little bit. 2020 has been weathering us already. I know everybody's talking about every, how weathered <laughs> everybody is. And but this things, is things like, are not going to be solved once, we, once we're in 2021 instead of 2020. But yeah, but absolutely. this makes it, but this makes it hard for me to get excited about the smart speaker that's right next to me because this is the model that goes into all of that stuff. Yeah. Okay, so you you have to really take the stuff in consideration. Um, yeah. Also, <sighs> the the knowledge that we we have uh, we've read this book before. We've read the there is a really really huge horrifying and book. offensive thing that comes to light about uh, the politics and the culture inside of Google. And the CEO went into like Uncle Grandpa mode and said, "Oh well, you know we've got a lot of work to do, and we're going to be working very, very hard. And clearly, we have lots of work. This is the th- this is the do th- you put it another way? This is the third, fourth, or fifth time that your cousin has said that. Yeah, I know I crashed the car while drunk into into your house, but that was just a a, a slip. I, I've got a total handle on my drinking. It's like no, by the second or third time, you realize that this is just something that was is not going to be solved with an easy fix. Even if even if Sundar Pichai said we were totally wrong. Oh boy, what a terrible thing we did. We are of course uh, rehiring. Uh, we, we are of, of course uh, immediately uh, rehiring Dr. Gabru uh, is forthwith. Number one, that's or you can give a, her ninety million. Yeah, I mean that's 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 not <laughs> you know even one million. I'm yeah. sure she'd appreciate as just hazard pay. But well, but I mean I'm sure she wouldn't. I, I believe from reading not that her, money solves stuff, anything. I'm just trying but, to but, say. Yeah. But I, I think I think she would correct. She would correctly identify that as no. This isn't this isn't a problem of me being fired. This is a problem of that massive multi layered poisoned groundwater culture that led to. Uh, my being fired in the way that I well, was fired. And they tell and so. they say that you are supposed to go inside and make the change, right? And this right. is just showing how difficult it is to do that. So what does this say to the rest of people who work in Silicon Valley? Yeah. That there's no hope? Well, then everybody go home. Why are you here? Stop showing up to work. Because yeah. clearly, and you know, it, it. that's I think what really saddens me about all of this because I am surrounded in a room full of products from this company that is basically saying, this stuff doesn't actually matter to us. And that sucks because it's like, well, then who do I go to where this stuff matters? Like, and it's not to say, listen, it's all capitalism in the end. It's so the end game is all to sell stuff at the end. But if Google's job, if Google's ethos from the beginning was we're here to index the web, we're here to index general knowledge that exists in the world. The general knowledge is that the world is vastly unbalanced. And if we're going to make any sort of change to society, we have to do it in a scientific way, because clearly the other ways that we've been doing it have not worked. That's just my that's my ending statement on that. Yeah, and 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 also, I should we I 
you and I could individually go on for another four or five or six hours on this. Well, we also haven't seen each other in a while. And so you and I are now like taking to like (laughs) united united against a common source of immense, immense annoying and disappointment. Uh, Why don't we take a break and get united against maybe something a little cute? Because I feel like something freaking adorable. We're going to take a really quick break and we'll come back and we'll kind of help cleanse your palate from this. Okay. All right, so this one actually comes from the throes of Facebook, which feel free to Google, quote unquote, what's happening with Facebook, because that's also fun. Um, But no, this actually has to do with Christmas trees. Now, I have to say, this has been quite the year for people bringing home Christmas trees with things in them. Um, A journalist friend of mine at the Washington Post, uh, she has spiders in her tree. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she on Instagram she's been posting like a tally and the other day the tally got up to 80 like her and the and the kids they've just been like adding to the whiteboard and so 80 and, and they're not all the same species of spider from what I've seen in the photos so that's um alarming uh the we we brought home a Christmas tree the other day from a, a place we don't usually bring it home from but you know lots of places are closed this year and did there's a carpenter bee of course that <laughs> was inside the tree. So um, it's not a good year for trees. Well, in Australia, down under, where weird things tend to happen and something that we really love to riff on because... We, we, we've spent a certain amount of our coverage marveling at the fact that Australians I mean, continue gimpy, gimpy to live bush. there despite the fact <laughs> that it seems as though everything that was born there, uh, every insect and every animal and bird and plant and tree that was that's indigenous to uh, that place is really just wants to kill them in the most painful and horrifying way possible. But it's, it's good to know that occasionally the wildlife is adorable and does adorable things and really, really peps up your Facebook feed. I think this is actually where Russell lives. Um, yeah. yeah. So the Adelaide and Hills Koala Rescue shared a story on their Facebook account, which we'll link in the show notes. This evening, our hotline operator took a call. At first, she thought she was the victim of a prank call. But no, a koala desperate to get in the Christmas spirit had wandered into Amanda McCormick's house and decided it wanted to be the fairy on the Christmas tree. <laughs> Bless this writing. Amanda was not so sure and rang one 300 K-O-A-L-A-Z for help. That spells koalas. Mm. The Z at the end. Zed, I guess you would say in other uh, parts of the world. Imagine koalas had like a, a, a suburban heavy metal band. Let's say. <laughs> imagine that. Koalas rule! <laughs> the group later told their local reporter, koalas are very curious creatures. And if the opportunity presents itself, they will investigate. And investigate they... Did well. This one little koala did. Um, he's so there's cute. this most adorable. So there's this amazingly adorable photo of a Christmas tree, and you just see this adorable koala, just like not not pulling it down, but just you know resting, or hanging on to it, just looking at the camera, saying, "Hey, how you doing? Hi, nice tree. Smells nice. Oh, are, uh, are, are, are I can't you, tell if he's eating it. But I, I don't guess... know, but he looks very adorable and koala-ish. And I see uh, because Aren't I live koalas, alone. I, I, like... Koalas are super dangerous. Let's see what happens when I Google that. 
Only oh, if they detect darkness koala, in the soul. Koala on koala violence is generally pretty mild, but they have been known to go after dogs and even humans. <laughs> For example, in December 2014, Marianne Force, Forster, South Australia, found herself at the receiving end of a vicious bite after trying to protect her two dogs from an aggressive koala. All right. We have this adorable, wonderful little thing. I was it's just fine. I mean, I, I'm sure. I'm that, sorry. See, I guess I, I ruined the whole palate ko- cleanser part know, of all that. Have, but. Koalas have free will. Also, you know, I, I'm going to respond to this the same way when I see like a viral video of like someone like teeing off on a supermarket checkout clerk because you don't know what kind of a day the koala had. Like maybe like the car got maybe towed, he was displaced by you know humans fires and stuff like that exactly. <laughs> But yeah, see, I, 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 I'll, as soon as I saw this picture, it's like, uh, I do, I do have like a, 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 an artificial Christmas tree, whether I set it up for myself uh, in my, in my house, it really is conditional on a lot of things. Like I'm really, really bored, like two and a half weeks before Christmas. And it seems like a good thing. And the house is really clean on that moment. And I was, I have nothing else that really supersedes that. But now it's like, I want to go on Amazon and buy like, like a plush koala doll and put up the tree and every year have like the koala just like in the tree not as an ornament just like like a koala like i left the door the door jar the koala wandered so in and said Ooh, one. that smells nice think i'll climb it because I, I was you can buy those little koalas remember with those like right with apart, clips little yep. paws that you just no, i want like, i want the there. life-size one i want people to <laughs> i want people to come and visit me and, and wonder what the hell is going on here i Why actually do have in one in my living room it's a koala and a little baby that my mom saved from when i was a kid it was brought oh. to me by my grandmother she immigrated to australia from romania because a lot of uh asi- political asylum a lot of people moved there right um in the 70s and so she brought me one of those koalas that it, it's a mama koala with a baby koala and it clips. It clips onto right. a, a surface. So those are those those were a big deal. I don't know if they they were a perennial, I really have but to I remember, clean I remember it, the eighties there were a lot there was like you'd see people with these like clipped onto the lapel of their jacket, like as though as though they were immense, like Atlas like giants well, and this normal size koala. I, I know what I'm gonna Google tonight before I go to bed. I'm going down that <laughs> that koala hole. <laughs> Um, okay. You can also clip them well, onto your ears for 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 party laughs. You could, but yeah, cartilage. <laughs> hey, Andy, you've got the koala on your ear. What's that? I can't hear you. I've got the koala on my ear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's why I, I spend Christmases alone. You're right. Absolutely. Oh, right. St- <laughs> But yes, it it is adorable. If for if for any reason you need a palate cleanser this week, I believe that Imagine an adorable a koala. koala who just thinks that oh well, thanks for leaving the door open. I knew that it's not many people like uh, are so open and inviting to koalas such as myself. I'm just going to hang out for a while. Oh, munch, is that is munch, that is munch. that like cinnamon spice cider that I hear that I smell there? Yes, is that oh, eggnog? I, I would like a, I would like a cup and some eucalyptus leaves. Is that spiced have. eggnog? Yes. Um, <laughs> hey, if you've got spiced eggnog and you're feeling a little buzz, you should head over to relay.fm slash material. Uh, if you like what you hear, you can become a member of this show. And if you become a member of the show, you're also supporting other Relay FM shows on this network. You get a lot of special freebies. Uh, including bonus episodes, wallpapers, um, and you just generally get to support a community of podcasters who love you and who you love back. Yes. This is the season for loving after all. There there are not a whole lot of people out there who will just voluntarily call your attention to adorable koalas and Christmas trees. We are two of those people. 
Yes, and exactly. Some, and you don't you don't necessarily have to think that that is worthy of additional monetary reward. But if you do, yes, we will gladly. Because again, I, I I'm not joking. I am going on Amazon right after this to see how much like a life size plush koala, one that can be like sort of attached to a Christmas tree, would be. I really hope you do this and then you put up your tree because I want you to put up yes. the tree because it's 2020 and I just feel like uh, you got to do something, Andy. You just. Oh, no, I'm, do- uh, I'm doing stuff. I have the like I, as 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 we speak, I have the my Wi-Fi controlled twinkly Christmas lights. OK, that, good. Good, good, good. Uh, that the, these these are the those, these are the really cool like RGB like Christmas light strings that once you like or put them on the tree or put them like I'm gonna fill like a window with them. You aim your phone camera at it with the app, and it will like uh, map each one of these lights. And then at that point, if you want to like have an animated display like snowflakes falling down, or if you just want to like draw a heart Dang. on the window, it will make that reflect on. Dang. The, yeah, well, we so, know what Andy's doing. Uh, Andy, are you doing any radio this week after putting those lights up or before? <laughs> I've done radio this week. <laughs> I, I'm a, uh, I do uh, tech about once a week for WGBH, Boston's NPR station. I did that this afternoon, which means that I have tomorrow and Saturday to nice. set up these twinkly lights and also set up my tree with my new holiday koala, uh, which I now decide would be incomplete if I did not have like a little Santa hat on it. We'll, yep, we'll, I agree. We'll, we'll see what's available. Uh, so, but by the time you uh, get this podcast, you can you can go to wgbhnews.org uh, and uh, stream uh, the recording or download the recording as you wish. Uh, we were most I didn't I, I didn't talk about today's major story because I knew that I, I need to I need to have talked it through twice before I can talk about it as like a five minute. Plus, it's probably <laughs> still like developing at this point. Let's yeah, let's be exactly. real here. I mean, we didn't have we didn't have Google's non-response, which I, which I suspected was going to be worthy of diplomatic. Comment. Yes, exactly. <gasps> maybe, uh, maybe not. <laughs> anyway, as for me, you heard I have a mesh Wi-Fi. Uh, it's called Battle Moto. That's what Gizmodo calls um, these guides. <laughs> and so, if you want to go check out some Wi-Fi six uh, mesh Wi-Fi routers, you can go check that out. Gizmodo.com. And I'm just going to be here all week catching up on what I didn't do last week. So I guess until next week, everybody, stay safe, wear a mask. Uh, and if you see a koala in a tree, leave him there because apparently they're vicious towards dogs. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Any koalas listening, you're welcome in my house anytime. Anytime. Even even the Mexican Cokes that I keep like sort of like on the cool porch – by all means, if you can operate the if you can operate the the the, the cap uh, opener, by all means, use it. Have a great week, everybody. 